Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. This is a CBC podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Cameo. She had an eating disorder and suffers from anxiety. Let's talk about it. Uh, this is, uh, guys, I think this is going to be a really fascinating conversation. Uh, we, like I mentioned, we're sitting down with our new friend Cameo all the way, uh, over on the West coast, early morning on the West coast for Cameo right now. Um, Cameo is a 21 year old fourth year microbiology major at UVic on Vancouver Island and, uh, is currently a co-op student with the Dealey or Delay Research Center, uh, one of BC's cancer labs. Now you might think we're going to be talking about microbiology and cancer and you know what it's like to be a a a budding young scientist but no my friend well maybe we will talk about those things who knows (laughs) i i I don't want to limit ourselves they're off the table uh (laughs) uh, but uh we're actually going to be talking about mental health and in particular you're going to be talking about things like anxiety things like ocd things like eating disorders and i want to say i just want to preface with with uh with something here cameo We've talked about eating disorders a number of times over the years. Not, not, you know, not a whole bunch, but there's been a handful of conversations we've had on the podcast. And they always, they always end up being like, they always feel like tricky conversations. They always feel like um, a little bit... I mean, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but do you guys feel like sometimes when we talk about eating disorders on the show... It almost, I personally almost feel as though I'm conducting the interview or, or, you know, it's not an interview. It's a fucking conversation. We're having the conversation, um, but it, it almost feels like I'm on eggshells. I think I felt like that the first time that we had that, yeah. had mm-hmm. the, had a conversation around that. I, sure. I feel that, I, I feel that way. sort of stuck with me with, I think, with the eating disorder topic in particular i think that one thing that has stuck with me that i've learned from having those conversations is that an eating disorder seems to be something that you always live with Mm that something that is always sort of um something that the person has to work towards sort of similar in a way to like um being sober like it's something that you're like always sort of working on and so i think it feels tricky navigating it from my perspective because it feels never, like you're na- never, navigating this thing that exists past. currently. You know, right, like yeah. sure. a lot of the conversations we have is like talking about somebody's experience that they had with this thing that feels like it was more in the past or like that they've yeah. you know dealt with or lived with. You know what though? I'll, I'll push back on that by saying when we have conversations with people with like, you know, uh, chronic depression or something like that, I don't have that same feeling. Mm. So, so with, with that said, I just want to throw it to you, Cameo. 
Make what Jer it, feel better. What? <laughs> no, no, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I'm kind of curious about what your thoughts are on that on 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 that statement. Um, as someone who has uh, struggled with eating disorders throughout your young life so far, um, do you, when it comes to like having conversations in, about eating disorders outside of the the context of like a podcast like this, do you find that a lot of people have that same sort of reaction, like almost like they're talking to you as if they're again, like walking on eggshells, kind of afraid to, I don't know, make the, make, make the wrong move or make the wrong step. I've been dealing with it for such a long time. So I'm pretty open about talking about it. Like, please don't feel like you have to walk on eggshells with me at all. Like I am open to talking about the nitty gritty of it in all manners. I definitely feel like when I mention it to people, because a lot of the time I'll be kind of awkward in situations around food. I'll be like, make a joke of it at this point. I'll be like, oh yeah, I was super anorexic. Ha ha ha. Almost had to go to the hospital a few times. And then people kind of like have this knee jerk reaction. They get really quiet. They're like, oh, and then they kind of veer off into that, not wanting to talk to me so much about it. But I completely subscribe to the idea that as we previously mentioned, it necessarily isn't this linear trajectory Like, it's not like you keep getting better and better and better. And then you get to a point where, oh, I don't have a problem with eating anymore. It very much is always with you. And I know some people overcome it more than others. And I'm not saying that it's impossible to completely never think about food in a certain way again, or never hold those anxieties very tight with you as a person. But I definitely think it's like a constant progress, as you previously mentioned, going back to saying with sobriety or different kinds of addiction. Mm. It's kind of this constant struggle you're facing. And like the only hope that I can have, at least for my own life, is that it's going to keep getting less and less worrying or less and less a major part of my life. Mm-hmm. To be to be totally honest and, you know, a little bit vulnerable here, I think part of like my feeling of, of that, like walking on eggshells comes from... Um, you know, conversation that we had early on the podcast with someone who had yeah, a, a yeah. drug addiction, um, and and they were talking in the podcast about like how good doing drugs felt, and I asked the question. I was like, like you know, you're talking about how good that was. Like, does is there not like a concern that like you know you might want to do them again? And this person was was like, no, 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 like it's not like that. But they're just awesome, and then. You know, lo and behold, months later, we find out that this person had a, you know, pretty significant relapse. And I like, Mm. I know that, you know, that didn't necessarily come from like having this conversation about how they were so good. But there's a part of me, like the overthinking sort of anxious part of me that is worried that in a conversation that I will somehow, you know, say something or that there will be some sort of influence that can unknowingly trigger someone into... Mm you know, like having that sort of quote unquote relapse experience. And I'm curious. I I feel, I feel a similar way about Mm -hmm. the, about episodes where we talk about circumcision. And because, because every time we do, every time we talk about like phimosis or circumcision, we get this giant influx of people emailing us going, Hey, I listened to your podcast and afterwards I got circumcised. And (laughs) now maybe that's a good thing, but maybe, Sometimes Maybe you just don't sometimes know, you, you just, don't know the power of your influence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I'm continue curious, with your question, Brian. Camille, like, like, do you, I mean, from your perspective, is that possible? Like, is it possible that mm. you know an interaction with someone else can cause you to think in a you know go down a pattern of thinking that leads you to you know sort of 
ebbing and flowing in a way that isn't as healthy for your you know, work on trying to um, manage your eating disorder? Absolutely. I think a lot of the time with eating disorders and when you see, say, like recovery content is a very big um, subset of the internet. And it's a lot of time people are worried about saying specific calorie counts, what their weight is, even like their height, because then people can sometimes calculate BMI from that. And for me personally, I'm pretty certain I would not go back down like the extreme anorexia hole that I was in, mostly due to the fact that I know a lot of the science. I know how your metabolism works. Mm. But in saying that, when I hear conversations like this or when I'm having a really stressful day, one of the very quick and easy things I can do is get in control of my eating and go, oh, I can cut this out or I can do this much more exercise. And I immediately fall kind of back down that rabbit hole mm. of my like really toxic behaviors. And mm. I think as well, when you're like, we're mentioning a previous guest saying, oh, well, the drugs are really good. It felt awesome, but I'll never go back to that. One of the big things of eating disorders, at least disorders, pardon me, I don't know why I said it like that, in my <laughs> case, was it was such an integral part of my identity as a person, because yeah. I think about, I do still think about food a lot. And I thought about food a lot so much that it was all I would think about. And I didn't know what was going to fill that space if I wasn't so sick anymore. Mm. So then it's like, well, who am I as a person? And then what can I devote this time to now? Mm. And where can I, I reorient my efforts? Yeah, I, I, I am curious, like how can, so like, to, to draw back to like a different conversation that we had early on the podcast, I remember um, talking about a, a different mental illness and asking this sort of same question. And the person said like, no, no, like, don't worry. There's nothing really you can say that's going to like trigger. I'll use another illness as an example, but like my bipolar um, experience or whatever. And, um, and so I feel like that's true in that sense. But then when it comes to eating disorders, I feel like there are things that you can sort of say that that has an impact on how somebody thinks about you know, their body image or their eating habits. And so I'm curious how like a person, how do you, because I know that everybody's perspective um, and experiences is, is different, but like, how do you, like when people short, sort of like clam up in having the conversation with you or like try to shift the subject or not talk about it or get quiet, like how would you like them to engage in that conversation with you? I think the major thing is just kind of, being aware of where your own opinion lies on or like I'm just trying to think of the best way to phrase this honestly just if the person's willing to say it happened and they don't seem like really um defend not defensive of it but worried about talking about it like ask questions be mm. like hey are you okay was like what helped you get through it like just be open about it because then i think when you keep building this taboo around it and you keep being quiet about it it almost makes the person a bit more self-conscious sure. and then they're worried about bringing it up and then they kind of close in back on themselves mm. and then i don't necessarily think there's anything any of you guys could possibly say that would make me go oh i'm gonna go jump back into these terrible habits because i'm pretty open about it i've literally heard everything in the book i'm not necessarily shy about seeking out content that could be triggering but I think it's more so just like the tiny remarks people can make when they're like, I feel so fat or like, oh, I shouldn't mm. be eating this. Because mm -hmm. then as someone else, you're like, oh, if that person's thinking that and they assumably don't have a problem. Why am I not being as diligent as them in this moment? Mm. If that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah. I, 
I mean, I, I think so. I I know a little bit of your story based on the application that you sent in to the podcast, and and I'm I am really excited to kind of dive into orthorexia because it's it's definitely something that we're we're not quite familiar with, um, at least when it comes to like you know anorexia, bulimia, the 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 two eating disorders. I think most people are like that kind of think of eating disorders. Those are what kind of pops to mind. Um, but before we get into orthorexia, <clears throat> I would love to hear. Um, your, your sort of like eating disorder origin story. Um, and, and I'd love to hear it because I, I, I do not think that your experience is an, an uncommon one. Um, most in particular because of, uh, of, of the, the sports that you were, uh, engaging in as a, as a kid. So, um, take us back uh, to when this all kind of began, how old were you and, and how do you, you know, I know you were quite young, but like, how did it in retrospect, how do you think this all kind of culminated and, and, and spurred from? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was around eight years old, I was like pretty standard looking kid. And I'm sorry if I use any language that may be offensive or triggering to other people. But then I eventually started to get a bit more chubby. And like, it's a natural thing for young kids to get chubby. Like no one had a problem with it. And then eventually I really wanted to start gymnastics, toxic sport number one for body image to get your bingo cards ready. So, and I absolutely adored it. I was super happy. My mom to this day says you were never as happy as when you were chubby. Like I want, she'll even say like, I want that kid back, which is kind of hard to hear sometimes. And I was fine. And then eventually I started ballet. My mom did ballet growing up and I was happy, but it's very easy to recognize that you're bigger than the other girls. Like they have these long lean bodies and you're just not there. And I don't necessarily remember a, like a specific day that I thought I'm going to stop eating, but I do very clearly remember being in the back of a car one day with my brother in the passenger seat. And he said, if you're going to stop eating, you're going to have to go to a therapist. Like this isn't good. And I looked at him and I was like, that will never happen. What are you talking about? And then there was kind of this slow, but steady decline. And it came to this point where I would like blink my eyes and suddenly all I was eating would be like five crackers and a cup of carrots a day. I would be too scared to drink water. I would go to gymnastics and the coach would be like, Oh, you're kind of, not that energized. I'm like, no, no, I ate. Cause in my head, Oh, I ate my five crackers. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like if you want to get into weights, but I was 104 pounds at the start of it. And then by the time I was in grade six, seven, I dropped to 66.7 pounds. Oh my goodness. And wow. I can remember the exact day that happened. Mm. And my mom's like, obviously freaking out at this point, not knowing what to do with me, go to a therapist She's like, I go there, I sit, I nod my head, like easily listening. Then I leave and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Right, I go to the yeah. doctor. I remember very starkly her saying, you're going to die if you keep this up. Like your iron's exceptionally low. And I'm like, okay. And in my head, I go, okay, I'll eat three almonds now. Get my iron back up because that's mm. what works. And I just wanted to get skinnier and skinnier. And then people at school previously would talk behind my back saying I was fat. And now they're like, oh, you look kind of like a skeleton. And then my reaction to that is, hmm, how can I get the weight down more? And then obviously you keep seeing yourself as fat or larger than other people throughout mm -hmm. this time. Mm -hmm. 
What do you, Cammy? Uh, uh, what do you think? Um, um, this is a, a little bit of a uh, of a of a selfish question, but I'm I'm really curious of what you think about about this. What do you think are some of the aspects of sports like gymnastics and um, dance yeah. that um, that are sort of more? I know that there's other sports. I mean, every every sport. I think every sport has its has its shortcomings in terms of culture. Gymnastics um, and dance, I think, gym, two are and dance two of definitely stick out. Some of the most like um, egregious. And yeah. I and I, I have a one I have a one year old uh, daughter, and I'm and my wife and I have like you know we talk about like yeah well, I wonder what's I wonder what sports you know she'll be interested in and and what sports are, do we like what sports do we think we probably don't want her mm-hmm, to be interested in mm-hmm. and gymnastics and dance are like at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious from your from your experience, like what you think some of those things in those sports are that make them that make someone like me think that. Absolutely, I think both that opinion is completely valid. I think gymnastics as a sport, I love it with all of my heart. I wish I could still do it. I got injured and moved into another sport, but I think it builds such a good foundation for other sports, and like it really works all aspects of your body. It's extremely mental. But I just think it's the environment and the culture that's been built around it. And I think a lot of how you feel in the sport is your teammates. I Unfortunately, I'm like, I don't like to speak ill of others. I had some absolutely terrible, toxic teammates. Mm. Um, but previously, and a, ter- a coach who just was not supportive in the slightest. And then I think it's just this idea that you have to be small, tiny. You have to be like under five feet to be successful in the sport. And I just don't think that's true. I think now, especially we're seeing older gymnasts, we're seeing gymnasts of slightly different body sizes be really successful in the sport. And I also think the sport's getting kind of a revamp with all the scandals that are coming out with Larry Nassar and like all those terrible, terrible sexual assault cases. And it's really making people question and reevaluate the sport and goes, how can we actually fix the system from the bottom up? And I can only hope that's going to happen because I do think it's a phenomenal sport. Everyone loves watching it when the Olympics come every Mm -hmm. four years. Um, I think with dance too, you especially see the same tiny body, tiny build. Mm. And it's just, we just have to be more accepting of other people and realize that there's not one way to be successful in sports such as those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my, my partner, she was um, seriously competitive gymnast growing up and, you know, we, we've had countless conversations about the, the culture um, when she was a part of it. Uh, and just how how toxic it it has been and and it's i mean it's such a it is it's such a bummer because like you said it's it's a phenomenal sport i mean and and it's uh, injuries aside it's it's amazing for the human body i mean when you go to when you go to see Cirque du Soleil you know a a a show that that i have seen multiple times and Every almost every single time I have been brought to tears from the simple act of like what the human body is capable of. They're all gym like you know I mean they're not all gymnasts but ninety percent of them are they come from gymnastics. I feel the same way about trick shots. You know in pool. No no just like you know oh like, like ping pong balls like off. dude perfect <laughs> you know stuff like that. It's like incredible <laughs> yeah. what humans are yeah. capable of. Yeah know? totally I get I've it. I get it. To tears <laughs> awesome. oftentimes. Um, right exactly. And so like maybe we should just start 
competitive trick shot leagues instead <laughs> yeah. of gymnastics. And just bring people to tears. I think you're onto um, on something there, Bri. So the thing that the thing that's really kind of astounding to me, Cameo, in hearing your your experience here, and again, I, I know that this isn't um, unique. Uh, that this this is this is a common uh, experience for people who end up living with eating disorders, but it's it to think of an eight year old going through that and like having those thoughts about their body image is just so astounding to me. Um, there's something about there's something it, it, it's almost it's not ever it's not ever good. No, <laughs> but. When you dip below a certain age and think about kids below a certain age having those thoughts and feelings, it, it, it's, it's just—it's really like it—it, like it's—it's like it—it makes me like almost emotional. I, like it's just—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to, that you struggled and had to go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I uh, wanted to—I wanted to ask about the the moment in the car when your brother um, said that to you. Like obviously you're you you know you mentioned the weight that you were at and then what you dropped down to and obviously that's a massive change and so your family is is observing this happen, um, like what? I'm I'm curious what that experience was like for you to hear your family say that and and if that changed the way that you thought about your situation at all. Absolutely, I think. I never realized until I got through the worst of it, um, how hard it was on my family. It's just my mom, my brother and I, and my mom as well to this day would be like, I had to go through anorexia. Like it's not a singular experience that I went through by myself. Like obviously in the moment I see it as like, I'm going through these hardships. I'm struggling with this, but it's really hard for everyone around you when you can't go to a restaurant. You have a full out panic attack at the idea of eating something different. You wake up in the morning, decide you like want to do whatever you can to get that scale to tick down more. Um, my mom describes it as she thought I was possessed. Like she's like, I didn't look at my child. I just looked at this shell of a person who was possessed the whole time because she couldn't understand what was wrong with me and what was going through my head. My mom, I loved her with my entire heart. She is a very like cut and dry, no bullshit kind of person. And she comes from a world where she did ballet, as I previously mentioned growing up. Then she went to bodybuilding. And then, so I have photos in my house of my mom, like during her bodybuilding days, like completely shredded. And then now she's a competitive power lifter and is exceptionally successful there. She has a bunch of the Canadian records for her class on like bench press and everything. Oh, wow. And so I have this like very athletic family. My mom's like an amazing athlete. And then I'm here like thinking I'm chubby at eight years old and going, well, I don't, I'm the odd one out. I don't fit in. My brother got a bit chubby growing up, but he's a guy. He has an amazing metabolism. He got super skinny, shot up to six feet tall. So I'm like, why am I different? What am I doing wrong? Cause I just saw my existence as being wrong at that moment. And I needed to change it in whatever way I could. It's, it's, it's wild how, like when you said that it's hard on everybody, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm sorry to like di- di- diverge from your experience in, into, into another, but like, it's kind of just the way that I, the way that I kind of, one of the instances in which I relate to eating disorders is I run a yoga studio and we had a, <laughs> we had a, we had a woman come into the studio and 
she was very, very, very far down the rabbit hole of an eating disorder, and um, and it was very, vi- it was very visually apparent, and <clears throat> and myself and our teaching staff like really struggled with how best to take care of her and also not hurt her. Like in the sense that she, she wanted to, she wanted to, she wanted to come to yoga class all like she wanted to come to yoga class like multiple times a day. This, she was on death's doorstep and, and you wanted to be like, well, I want to provide this experience for you. I want to provide a space for you where you feel like you're, you're okay and you're taking care of and you're not being judged. But at the same time, like this is very, this is dangerous. Um, and it was, and it was, it was like just on the topic of it being very hard for everyone. Like it was like, it, it, it reached out to, you know, like to her strangers that, that were just like teachers at this yoga studio that were really concerned, um, about her well being, Um, and, and it was really hard to communicate that in terms and not make it seem like, and not make it seem like we were just concerned about, um, like our business. Uh, and that like, you know, we didn't want anything to happen at our business that we like really hard to convey that we were like really, truly concerned for her. Um, you know, what, what was, what was it like? So you've got your family and your family is obviously very concerned. What was the experience like in, in how you, how you perceived like teachers and coaches and like those Mm. people that are, they're still an important role in your life. They still play a role in your life, but they're like more on the peripheral than your, than your immediate family. Like what was that? What was that um, reaction? From gymnastics, I never had a single coach bat an eye at it. No one mentioned anything that went completely unnoticed. I had one school teacher who my mom went to because I was like nearly fainting during math tests and be like, my kid is anorexic. Like she's not doing well. And the teacher kind of knew my, she had previously taught my brother. She knew me fairly well. So my mom had like a long conversation with her and that teacher mostly got it because she was a gymnast previously. So she kind of picked up on it, but as from sports, no one even noticed, or at least if they did notice, they never said anything. Maybe they thought it was for the best, like, oh, this kid lost some weight. I don't necessarily want to put those negative ideas in their head or like make them think like for judgment on their part, but it was never a cause for concern, at least in the sports world for me. It's rampant in sport. It's like in any sport where you're, where you are, where being smaller is perceived as, as advantageous, like even, even in cycling and pro cycling, but even, even the inverse of that, even the, even the insanely rampant, even the, I mean, even bigger, you know, it's like, totally. Yeah. There's, it it goes both ways. I mean, there's, there's, there's the side of like, well, I'm, I'm too small. I got to get bigger, you know, to, to move my weight around on the rink or whatever it is. And, <clears throat> that also comes with its with with a host full of of eating disorders that are you know the opposite of where Cameo found herself. I, mm-hmm. Cameo, I am I am curious about like um, you know this is about thirteen years ago when when this all started and and you I know that you you are currently are not are, are not struggling with anorexia. So at what point? in that journey, did, did things start to turn around? And what was the catalyst for that? Truly, it was my mom screaming at me. Like, there's no easy way to put it. 
she's a terrifying person. I've had people describe my mom as scarier than Satan, which isn't untrue. Um, but she was like, you need to eat, like, you need to cut this out. And she would sit at a table with me and tell me, like, you will finish this. We are not moving. And I remember her saying, like, once she had made me eat a banana and she was like, you almost looked relieved when I forced you to eat that. And it was just it. I don't want to say the therapy didn't help, but for the most part, it was just my mom, like not holding my hand and honestly, just like pushing me through it, sitting me down saying, you need to eat this every single day until I got up to a higher caloric intake. And then eventually I was in a round. I remember when I was entering grade eight, it was like, okay, I'm still like fairly underweight, but I eat my set amount of food every single day so that I'm not on depths. Death, sorry, death doorstep mm. at this point. Were you? It, it were sounds you, like um, it sounds like you have a, a really, um, like I don't know what word to use to describe, but sort of confusing relationship with your mom in a way, because um, uh, I guess I guess I'll ask you a question about it, and this is probably one of the challenging things to talk about. But you know, like having that sort of person in your life when you're younger who has like you know photos of bodybuilding and all of these things and. Uh, on the wall in your house and you're seeing this and then also being, you know, like a, a, as you described, like a really terrifying person in a lot of ways, but also being this person who, you know, is, is loving you in the way that they best can and helping you to try to push through this thing that you're really afraid of. Um, what, like, can you, can you describe or talk a little bit more about what your relationship with your mom is like and what that has meant through your sort of, um, dealing with your eating disorder? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just like to preface, I have, I'm like eternally grateful for my relationship with my mom. Mm. She, I say she's a terrifying person. She's just, she expects a lot. She expects my brother and I to live up to our potential and to just be the best people we can. Like you're not going to get away with anything less than the best. And it's not pressure from her because she knows we put enough pressure on ourselves to keep being put pushing ourselves forward into doing better things. And she just, he's very black and white, cut and dry. You're not gonna, she's like the hardest working person. I know she goes into work six days a week, 12 hours a day. The one day she has off, she's at home and I live on a farm. So there's never a shortage of work. That's just mm. nonstop work on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of times when we were like actively just screaming at each other during my anorexia and that was really hard because for my perspective I'm like I remember crying into a pillow being like why does she hate me so much why does she want to kill me because in my head it wasn't the anorexia that was killing me it was putting nutritional food in my body that was doing the killing because I saw every time that number went up that was like the death of another part of me Mm. as a person and then as I got older and I think it's been kind of healthy for my mom in a way Mm-hmm. Um, I, my older brother moved out to his master's and I started doing a lot of his responsibilities on the farm and it just became my mom and I, we have all these animals and we have to work as a team because there's no other way of getting everything done. Mm-hmm. And that has part, it has caused some like tense times, mm-hmm. but for the most part now we're like pretty locked in. And my mom has been through so much with me throughout the years with mental health and everything. Mm-hmm. I would say the hardest part of it's been sometimes she doesn't understand it. 
because for anorexia, it was like just eat. When I had a, I came one day after a lab practical exam on a gram stain in micro 200 crying and like, mom, I had a panic attack. I couldn't get over it. And she said, well, I just wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have got, I would have gotten over it and wouldn't have cried. And hearing that, I'm like, I can't just stop that response, like the panic attack. And I felt really hurt by that. But I think through the years, she's come to understand that more. And it's helped to build a better relationship between Mm -hmm. the two of us. Mm -hmm. And overall, I could not ask for a better mom in the entire world. Mm -hmm. I can can appreciate the situation, which is why I also am asked about it. Because I think like, you know, my parents got divorced uh, uh, when I was 15. And and I lived with just my mom for, for a number of years after that. And to see like how hard my mom had to work in situations just to like put food on the table and take care of my brother and I. And sometimes I, I wondered if she like resented how hard she had to work to be able to like sort of keep our family af- afloat. And, you know, oftentimes felt like, you know, she felt like I wasn't appreciative en- enough of like all of the things that she was doing. But like in reality, it was also hard for me too. Mm. And, um, you know, my, my therapist says something that's really interesting uh, that I feel like has been a big theme through my therapy is that things don't have to be black and white from my perspective. It doesn't have to be like, my mom did this, but she was also, you know, working hard. So it's okay that she did that because she did this. Um, it's, it's like the and instead of the but where these things can both be true. You know, like sometimes I wish my mom was more understanding in situations and would just say, hey, that's really hard. I just want you to know that I love you. Um, and I wish that that was true. But, you know, it doesn't mean that just because, you know, but she does these other things good, then that's, said a but. that's okay. You said but. <laughs> yeah, no, Shouldn't have said but, but. I was trying not to say but. Should not have done um, that. But I feel like, I feel like we have um, similar, like a similar experience in, in that sense. I don't know. Do you, like, do you, does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, it resonates in the fact that when I, when my mom says she's proud of me, or I, when she gives me a hug, when she doesn't like sometimes my mom walked behind me and I flinch and she's like what did I ever do to you and I'm like do you want me to draw my childhood trauma <laughs> um Gabber Mate would had... unpack a lot of shit with you on that <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. but yeah do you want me to talk about the one time my brother held me down and put soap in my mouth for swearing because oh peppermint God. soap does not taste like peppermint <laughs> and, and the odd thing is, is that it doesn't change your it doesn't change the way that you speak it, it doesn't change those swear oh, words and behold. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms we were spending a lot of time talking about like how, you know, the people around you are affected. And I, and I really Ooh. just wanted to acknowledge the fact that like what you were going through and, and still go through to some extent is really hard. And that sucks. The text conversations from my mom are mostly me apologizing for my existence. Most like all the time, <laughs> like the last text she sent me before this recording was in all caps, stop saying sorry. 
because I'm constantly, I'll be in the lab. Someone will like walk by. I'm like, oh, so sorry. And like, you have to stop saying sorry. And I'm like, oh, sorry. Like it's such a reaction You're even too me. apologetic and- for Canadian, for the average <laughs> yeah, Canadian. That's right. I, I, um, I, I'd love to hear about, um, walk us through orthorexia. Give us like a, a sort of overview on what it is. And, and I guess, um, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm drawing conclusions just based off what you've said so far, but like, I, I feel like I kind of understand maybe perhaps why that is, that was the sort of next, um, evolution of your eating disorder based on what you've told us so far, but, but just give us a, a sort of rundown on what is orthorexia and, and, um, and how does that play a role in your, how had it played a role in your life and how does it play a role in your life now? Absolutely. So I'm sorry to anyone who like knows the textbook definition out there of orthorexia, but for the most part, it's a very restricted eating regimen, typically hyper-focusing on healthy foods, foods with very limited ingredients, or only eating specific food groups. Mm. So for me, it's very much the healthy eating. I eat the exact same thing every day. I could tell you every calorie, every thing I put in my body for like the past five years and I will not obscure from what I, or go into it. I won't eat anything that I don't know the exact ingredient list on that. I don't know the exact nutritional content, or that's just like not my normal foods because it will send me into a panic attack. I can eat a few more like frozen berries and than I normally do. And in my head, I'm like, you have to make up for that. Like you, you went off the path. You have to do like another thousand steps. Like I very much have those anorexic anxieties ingrained in my head and how I think and my thought processes. And it is really hard. And as you asked, Jeremy, how does it play a role in your life? How does it still play a role in my life? I I think it just really sucks the joy out of a lot of my life. Yeah. Um, most of what I eat, I very much focus on like healthy, high protein foods because I do a lot of weightlifting and sports. So I'm like, what can I do to optimize my performance there? And that's high protein for me. Mm. And I, I am terrible in social interactions with food. I just won't eat. I won't eat anything the entire day. And then I'll get home and I'll eat like all my calories for the day because I have all my specific foods at home. If I go somewhere and I don't have my food, I am in an absolute panic the entire mm. time. Mm-hmm. Is that so, something that like, you, is that something, so obviously you're very like, you're very tuned into how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, is it something, is like, is that something that has, uh, that is like you actively work on? And like you, you obviously, you, you're, you know, you, you've mentioned it has several negative impacts. Um, like, is that something that is worked on that you work on, that you work on in therapy that you're, you know, trying to, uh, that you are trying to ameliorate, uh, you know, like over time. I wish I could say yes and be like, yes, I'm working on it. Like it's getting better in all honesty. I'm not really working on it. It's more of, I have it so dialed in at this point and I keep saying, I'm going to do the thing where you like reverse diet, you bring up your metabolism, you eat like 50 more calories a week because I completely obliterated my metabolism with anorexia because when you lose weight, your metabolism shifts down and I want to be able to eat like 2,200 or more calories a day and not put on any weight because I'm still terrified of my weight going up. Mm. But because I'm in this space where like I eat my exact same thing every day, I just kind of 
don't see other foods as existing or even being options to me. Like the other day, right. we had a representative come in the lab for a meet and greet to show the new products and they brought pizza. And everyone's like, oh, don't you want pizza? And to me, it's like, well, no, I'm not going to eat pizza. Like it's not even a decision not to. It's just not there in the first place. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm, I, I hope what I'm about to say isn't something that is viewed as like insensitive or like is, is just not the right thing to say. And if it is, I apologize ahead of time. Um, but this is, I'm just kind of, again, it could, because I'm, I'm not, I wasn't really familiar with orthorexia <clears throat> and I'm just having this thought, but <clears throat> it seems like with the, where you found yourself with anorexia, you have, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of dealing with two, um, two really, uh, sort of like evil elements of that, of that, uh, disorder. One being the mental side of it, right? Like being told you look like you're a skeleton and thinking, well, fuck, I better lose more weight. Um, and then the other part of it being like the, 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 the biological health element of it, which is you're going to die. Like you, you're, 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 you're so, you're so malnourished that your body will shut down if you continue. And now you've, you've, it's it, with the orthorexia, it seems like, like you've, you've found the way to like keep your body healthy and your body alive um which is good that's a great thing but there's still this like mental fucking element that is that is that's the disorder is is the way that it's affecting you mentally um do you like it to taylor's question about you know are you working on trying to find ways to to kind of get over that hurdle um Do you want to one day be able to look back and go, wow, that was, I, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer struggling with the mental side of it either. Or, um, or like, do you, do you, do you really, do you put much thought into that side of things? I mean, and the reason why I say that is because when you said, when Taylor asked that question, you were like, you know what? I, I'd like to say that I do, but I, I don't. The first thought I had was of where the fuck are you going to find the time to work on that? Like you're, you are, you're in like pre-med, you know, like your, your schedule is probably, and, and you, and you work on a farm. What the fuck? Like your schedule <laughs> to me is, is insane. So like, where would you find the time to like, to, to really work on that? But is that something that you like, that you, you really deep down, there's a part of you that's like, man, I really would love to conquer this motherfucker. Absolutely. That's not an insensitive question in the slightest. I want more than anything to go to a store, go to a restaurant and just eat something and not feel like it's going to be the end of the world. Because from my perspective, eating a piece of apple pie, that would be the end of the world. Because I'm like, oh, I'd eat that. I'd gain 10 pounds. I would cry, panic attack. My body would shut down. Right. I want to work on it. And like, I guess maybe like there's like very small things that I do that I'm like, oh, maybe I'll eat like two more strawberries, which sounds it's like nothing to most people, but to me, it's very significant. I definitely, with the amount of work exercise I get a day, I do not eat enough food by mm -hmm. any standard. Mm -hmm. um, with you saying I don't have any time, I literally wake up at like 5.30 in the morning, get to work anywhere from 6.30 to 6.50. Second work's done. I race home, do like three hours of farm chores, and I blink my eyes and it's like nine o'clock. I'll eat. I have a bunch of weird habits around what time I eat at. I literally eat what I would eat for lunch 
between nine and like start eating at nine and eat like most of my calories between nine and 11 PM. And then I get three hours of sleep according to my Apple watch, at least a day. And then I'm up. My brother doesn't know how I function, (laughs) but I think it comes down to just this fear that's holding it me back. And I'm so absolutely terrified that my body's going to change. I said previously, like, Oh, I got my food pretty dialed down for how I look right now. It's the first time where I'm like, Oh, I'm kind of happy with how I look because I do two hours, like almost two hours of like normal exercise a day, add on farm chores. And I'm like, but what if I wasn't doing that much exercise? What would I look like? Would I lose some of my muscle mass? So sorry, it's like long story short to answer your Mm -hmm. question. Absolutely. I want to get through this, but it's like, I don't see that as a possibility for myself. I'm like, oh, I don't see myself as a person that will ever have those opportunities that will ever take Mm -hmm. that enjoyment back out of life. I just kind of have written it off for myself. And, and on top of all that, um, I guess this is like, How does hearing, I mean, hearing your schedule, it's, it really is just like astounding your, your daily schedule, but um, how does stress play into eating disorders? Um, I, I guess like I'm, I'm thinking about like anxiety or I'm thinking about things like depression or, you know, any plethora of the, of the mental illnesses that exist out there or physical illness for that matter, you know, CF or, you know, you name it. S- stress is just, is, is stress is, is going to, um, is going to like increase the chances of your health to decline, whatever, whatever it is that you're struggling with. So when it comes to like the stress of academia, do you find that that is something that you have to really like carefully navigate? Is it, is it something that you're afraid might have an effect on the future of your, your struggle with eating disorders? Like how does stress and, and academics play into all of this? It makes everything so much worse. Um, I'm a high achiever to put it lightly. I'm that kid who I don't see myself necessarily as an exceptionally intelligent individual i just always say oh i'm hardworking." like my brother's the natural academic super smart doesn't have to study does really well for himself and i'm like i have to like stick my head in a book for like 16 hour days to study for an exam and then if i get don't get 100 percent on something i am full out crying my eyes out being like what did you do wrong why didn't you do better and then that leads into test taking anxiety having full frontal panic attacks while taking a test obviously hinders your mental capacity in that moment, makes you not being able to perform to your best potential. And then, as you said previously, like on this um, stream to wanting to become a doctor, like it is so hard because everyone's putting in the most effort possible at all times. And it's such a toxic and concentrated environment in that regard that when it gets really tough, you almost want to fall back and be like, well, the one thing I can control, if I can't control the date of the test or what's coming up, I can control my eating. I can control these factors of my life in this moment. Mm-hmm. And then you get back into that rabbit hole, those toxic tendencies, then it exacerbates the anxiety again. And it's just this terrifying cycle that you go through. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious 
cameo if if uh I'm trying to uh see if I can understand this. So I'm curious if like your level of like awareness of what you know you would like to be able to do in terms of experiencing life um specifically around eating is like do do you know or like believe that you could have a healthy relationship with food, quote unquote healthy relationship with food where you don't think about this? Do you believe that but feel like, you know, if you eat more than you know what you deem to be safe right now, that the impact is just that you'll have like some sort of panic attack or anxious episode? Like is it is it true that you believe that you want to like have this experience of having this quote unquote healthy relationship with food, but there's the the panic attack that then prevents you from like wanting to overeat because you know you're going to feel anxious or, or sort of spiral after that? Or is it that you just feel like, you know, you can't, you'll just never have a healthy relationship with food at all. Like what do you believe to be true? If that makes sense. I know it's, I know absolutely does. I know it's a depressing thought, but I think if I'm being like absolutely true to myself, I just don't see it as a possibility for myself. I see myself fingers crossed in like years and years down the line, if I become a surgeon, like I want to be, I'm just going to have this side of my life where I never take enjoyment out of going to a restaurant. I'm always going to be panicked about it, but it will be worth it because I'll be in this job that I love. I'll be a workaholic. It will be okay. I'm not afraid of hard work in any respect, but I can't see myself being happy there. And I know like, oh, you want to hear like one day I'll get through it. I'm a pretty pessimistic person, glass half empty. And I just really can't see that for myself, which I know is sad, but, and it's something I wish I could, or like I want to work on and I don't necessarily know what to do about it. Cause I've been in that like mindset mm. of where I am right now for so many years from a young age. But once, I mean, once you're a rich, honest, once like... you're a rich surgeon, you know, those Michelin star restaurants are going to be, are going to be calling your name and you're going to be like, you know what? Maybe I will have some escargot or maybe I was going to say, to fix all the injuries yeah, that yeah. they get while in the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, steady like, stream of income. Dude, right. to be honest, um, I mean, obviously I want you to answer and say, oh, like I, I believe I'll be better in the future and I'm going to work towards this. Um, but I, I appreciate the honesty in your answer more than like more than hoping for what mm. I want to hear. I think, it's, um, but I, but I do I do want to say it. it's it's interesting for me to hear this and and I understand like part of me like almost projects this like image of like you know this like evil eating dis- disorder as like a separate person that's part of you that's like sort of controlling you and I I think of it that way because like you know as somebody who has who has like had moments in my life where I, where I struggle with body image and like what I would deem to be a completely normal way. I have these like ebbs and flows in my life where, you know, I become hyper-focused on what I'm eating and exercising. And like in particular, like guys, when I was doing CrossFit, like I would, I would only eat the exact same things every day and was like hardcore regimental about those things. But in a way that like I thought was like, was me just being really healthy? It was super annoying for us when we were on the road. Totally, and and I I understand that, <laughs> to be but I've also <laughs> like like to some extent I obviously I would not deem that to be like orthorexic or an eating disorder mm. or anything like that. Um, but but like I've had you know versions of myself where I'm more like that, and then versions of myself where I I let that go for a little bit and care less about what I eat, and 
And the reason why it's not a disorder is because it doesn't make me feel anxious or, or like cause disorder in my life thinking about that. And I really appreciate that. I don't think that way because, you know, it enables me to be able to go to restaurants and, you know, look at something on the menu and be able to eat it. And I guess like, it's, it's hard for me to hear that you don't think that you'll be able to, to hear, have that experience in the future because like, I know how nice that is to be able to do that. And I just like, I just, from one person to another, like want you to be able to have that too. I think it's important to point out, I think it's important to point out to people who are, especially if people who are listening, who like, who like feel like they don't like get as much of a grasp on like they, they, maybe they hear the things that people go through and like similar to what you said earlier about your, uh, like a reaction that your mom had cameo when about your panic attack being like, Oh, I just wouldn't be like that. Mm-hmm. Like, Kimmy, you are so like you are so tuned in and dialed in to like mm. how you feel about this. It's mm-hmm. actually it's actually incredible. It and, makes it easier and, to have this conversation and, too, for and, sure. <laughs> and 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 you not only are you tuned in and dialed into it, but you also have an educational background, which in mm-hmm. theory arms you with like the facts uh, that 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 can counteract the irrationality of the things that you f- think about around food, and yet you still struggle. And yet you still struggle. Mm-hmm. And so like, just to like mm-hmm. point out just like the, un, like the enormity of, of, of a condition like this and that it is, that it is really challenging, extremely challenging, even though you are who you are sitting here before us talking extremely intelligently and eloquently mm-hmm. on the whole subject and it, with, with a, with a tremendous degree of self-awareness <clears throat> um, and an education um, in a field to back it up, yeah. which is why it feels to me like there's this like evil sort of thing just like looming over you in a way that that like I just want to yeah I just wanted to go away. Stop <laughs> trying to shrink her, Bri. Let her live her yeah. life. Um, cameo. Uh, how does how does this uh, or I mean, <laughs> I was you know I was about to ask about like how does this affect your dating and then and then as the as it was coming out of my mouth I went. This fucking girl has no time to date. What am I talking about? But, <laughs> but I mean, if you had time to date, um, how does how does your mental health affect, if at all, your your ability to to like find intimacy or date or you know whatever? First off, um, I think that overarching thing that you said is like looming over me. Maybe that's my soul trying to enter my body. Drawing back <laughs> to the redhead thing. <laughs> your, no, red, your, red hair is, your red hair is a force field against your soul entering. <laughs> oh no, it's morality. Oh no, what do I do? Um, assuming someone. I've, going back, sorry, Jeremy, to your question about yeah, dating. Yeah. I've never had a partner. I would love to have a partner if I found someone who respected and cared for me and we had like a great relationship, but also like saying, Oh, I don't see that happening in my future. It's really hard for me to see someone liking me enough. And I think it's kind of like a lot of girls will say this or guys or anyone will say, Oh, like I don't really see myself finding a partner, someone liking me for who I am. But like, truly I just can't envision someone wanting to put up with me. And I do like very selective use the word put up with me because I see myself as a problem not meaning to like quote Taylor Swift and say it's me hi I'm the problem it's me mm-hmm. but like I know I come with a lot of baggage and like it would be really hard for someone to understand this all and I don't expect someone to meet me and suddenly understand it all 
And like, it is a lot to put up with and like, to be like, no, I can't eat that. Like that stresses me out. And I think it's a lot to ask of a person. And I just can't see myself finding someone who would want to go through that with me or who would help me get over that. So like, yes, I want a partner, but at the same time, I just, it's also something that's kind of like off the table. Like I just don't see it. It's kind of like not in my periphery. If that makes sense. It it makes sense. And, uh, and, and as much as like, you know, not to like, not to come down on you, Brian, but like as much as I would never want to actually sit here and say like, Oh, I just like, you know, I, I love eating at restaurants and I hope one day you get to experience that. Um, I, I, I don't, when it comes to the dating thing, even though you, you, you might have this feeling that like you may never find someone who's willing to like put up with that or, or like you don't want to be a burden to somebody. You know what? There's so many fucking people out there and some of those people are shitty. Some of those people, you're right, won't have time for it. Some of those people will be so turned off by it. Uh, some of those people will think that they're into like being able to put up with it and they, and then very quickly will realize that they won't. But I can tell you right now, there is a fuckload of people out there that most certainly would not come into a situation of dating someone like yourself and feel as though I can't do this. There are so many people out there that are out there just waiting for you. And who knows, maybe someday in the near future, that person might come into your life um, but we most my, certainly my one, think that you're worthy my, of that, and we know that because everybody is mm-hmm. worthy of that. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. And and my one thing, I, if I was to give a, a piece of advice to which you can take or not, all I would say to that is, um, be open to the idea of 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 just being open to the idea. Um, even though you might not think you're worthy, just be open to the idea that you are. Mm-hmm. And, Thank uh, you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Because I, because I gotta say, anybody listening to this right now is like in love with you. For Cameo, sure. you are, you are, you are you, like, you, you are you're such a likable person. You are incredibly <laughs> likable. Like this, I, I, the first to say that. I mean, I was, I would like, you know, we've only spoken to you for an hour, but um, in terms of in terms of a, a podcast guest and guests that we've had in in the past, like you are the ideal conversationalist. You are the person that like you are the person that we search for when we're hoping to to, to have like a really solid podcast episode. And that doesn't mean you know maybe you are a fucking nightmare to date. I don't know, but <laughs> but in terms of like sitting down and having a conversation with someone and getting to know someone. In, in, a, in, a, in a very, like, short, condensed period of time, but also getting to know that person where, like, all, like, all bets are off and the fucking doors are wide open and everyone's being vulnerable, you're a pretty fucking rad person. And so I just, like, I, I would be, I'd be doing myself a disservice if I didn't just take a second to tell you that you're fucking awesome. So um, That means so much coming from you. I... Their words mean more than you know. Thank you so much. And, and I will also say this. Um, I think all, I, I don't know if you've heard about it, but there's, you know, there's a farmer's dating app. Yeah, I, just, if you get on that thing, I'm telling you. Farmers, <laughs> farmers, is it called Farmers Only? I think it's, yeah, it's like, I think it is Farmers Only. I don't know if like that's that. a place for you, though. <laughs> if I'm someone not. wants to help me move hay and cook chicken waters, 
By all <laughs> means, it would make my life so much easier. <laughs> um, Harvestover.com. You need that in a partner, though. <laughs> Cameo. Um, what? I mean, with with everything that you're doing with uh, with schooling, um, you had mentioned that you know your your aspirations are to be a surgeon. Um, what kind of surgery would you like? You know, you've got a, you've got a ways to go, but. You know, if you could, if you could picture yourself in the future doing something in medicine, what's the, what is the like ideal perfect scenario for you, which I'm sure you're going to do based on the fact that your entire family seems like a bunch of fucking extremely high achievers. So what, where will we see you, um, uh, once you are, are in that position? Do you want my like 10 year plan? <laughs> Lay it <laughs> on us. Run smoothly? Yeah. Okay. Let's hear it. Um, so as you said previously, I'm doing, sorry. I am just like, I'm really hoping this works out for me in the future. Um, so I'm doing my co-op this year, um, this summer, sorry, at BC Cancer's Daily Research Center, specifically in Dr. Brad Nelson's lab. And then I'm doing my full year honors there next year. So I should be graduating in May of next year. I was going to write the MCAT this summer. I actually do not physically have the time to study for that. I'm doing it next summer. I'll then hopefully go into a two-year master's or do a one-year research intern position. And then if I do a master's, I will do probably neuroscience. I think it's really interesting and inspiring what drugs related to mental health are coming out. There's a lot of work being done on psychedelics, which is incredibly promising that mm-hmm. I want to look into. And I've worked with a PhD student at a neuroscience lab at UVic, and he does incredible work. Um, so then hopefully do that. Then I would really like to go to University of Calgary for med school or UBC or really any med school who would take me. University of Calgary. My mom has a ranch out there because she does a lot of stuff with horses. Um, but they have an accelerated three-year program, I believe. And I, more than anything, want to either do neurosurgery or orthopedic surgery. Mm. Um, that really, really interests me. I know everyone's like, you're never going to have a work-life balance you're always going to be working i am up for it in any regard (laughs) i want to do that with for my entire life i am used to long hours i see my mom doing long with her business like i am up for it i will do whatever i can to get there because i know that's what i want to do with my life If you know, you know. I can't wait to have you back on the podcast. I know. I was just thinking, I was like, wow, it's going to be great when she comes on and talks about the, the very first brain transplant that she <laughs> that she did. And uh, uh, research in psychedelics. Uh, yeah. Cameo, uh, what would you say is the biggest thing that your struggles with eating disorders has taken away from you? I would say it's taken kind of an innocence out of my life because I'll never view food as something, or at least going back like a long time, to the idea that, oh, I don't see myself as ever completely overcoming this. I just don't see myself ever getting that full enjoyment. And that's what I see that I'm losing, that this disease is taken out of my life. Just like that innocence to look at something that should be yummy and should be like a really enjoyable experience and just seeing something that's the cause of all my fear. Mm. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Um, besides chronic insomnia, <laughs> I I really have to say I think it's kind of I don't want to say like oh this disease brought this good thing out of my life but I think it's given me a sense of diligence and work ethic and just like focus in what I'm doing because it you have to be 
very regimented to eat like I do. Like I have not eaten out of what I normally eat in years. I've not taken a single rest day from working out, which is another problem that has a lot of injuries associated with it since I was in grade five. But if I can apply that work ethic and that kind of regiment idealism into my schooling, then hopefully I'll get somewhere in the future and be able to accomplish that plan I lavishly laid out for you. <laughs> Cameo, um, I, 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 we, we really appreciate you. And, and we appreciate your, your willingness to come on here and to open up, you know, you're a complete open book and it and it's it's uh, not that we haven't had people like that on the show in the past but when it comes to this particular topic um more often than not we're not used to that and so uh this is it's just been it it really has been like a, a lovely conversation and we are massive fans we are rooting for you and um i I, I just I thank you for taking time out of your fucking insane schedule to sit down and and share uh, this sliver of your life with us and, and our listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for um, being here. I've listened to you guys. As I said in my two applications I put in since your very first day, I am so grateful for everything the three of you do. It means so much. And I know it means a lot to everyone who listens. And I will try and get back to you on the soundproofing box i'm in <laughs> i would love to see your color swatches if you get one and what you want to throw in it as many details as possible yeah. thank you cameo get an let interior designer and everything i was gonna say let us know how farmers only goes too <laughs> well there you go folks hope you enjoyed that conversation as always we are coming at you mondays wednesdays and fridays and if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And, of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.